This is Infants on Thrones. Philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to another episode of Infants on Thrones. My name is Tom Perry. So as many of you know, I've been on a lot of group conversations, podcast episodes that range from being extremely funny and entertaining to being serious, educational, and everywhere in between. Today's episode is unprecedented for me. This one was extremely difficult. Being there um, and then putting it together for the audience to listen to. It wasn't fun. Um, It was emotionally charged. So I want to spend a few minutes just as a disclaimer for those that are going to listen to this episode that we're going to be talking about suicide and suicide that's really close to home. I'm going to be talking to Jordan and Katie, formerly of the Unequally Yoked podcast, who went as Neil and Naomi Winters um, because they lost their teenage daughter to suicide back in October of 2017. Now, I didn't really want to have this conversation. We actually postponed it several months. Um, I was I was worried for Jordan and Katie's emotional well-being in order to have this conversation. I felt like that so many emotions were so raw, and frankly, they still were, but that's completely understandable. There's a couple of reasons why I finally kind of came around to having this conversation and thinking it might be a good idea. First and foremost, I thought that it would be an incredible step forward for Jordan and Katie to talk about it, um, use this as sort of a therapeutic conversation to get some things off their chest. I also think that having this conversation and then putting it out there will really benefit someone who's either going through something like this or has gone through something like this or even knows someone that has gone through this or going through this at the time so that they can be that empathetic ear or shoulder and really support them through one of the most difficult things a person can endure is losing a loved one to suicide. And obviously we'll talk about that. Suicide is becoming so prevalent in the last few years that it's something that we have to talk about. It's something that we have to be able to discuss openly and to be aware of it and to find ways to connect to each other so that we can start to prevent this sort of thing from happening. Suicide is one of the few deaths that's completely preventable. So as you listen to this episode, I hope you listen to it with an open heart and an open mind and listen to the love that Jordan and Katie have for their daughter, Sabrina, and how they've celebrated her life while she was here and now that she's gone. I do want to make sure that if any of you are out there listening, are in a place, in a very dark, depressed place, and have even possibly thought about suicide or are currently thinking about it, that there's a lot of support and help out there. A lot. And I want to explain some of these resources just in case some of you out there aren't aware of them. Of course, first and foremost is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at one 800 273 8255. 
They even have a website where you can actually chat online if you'd prefer to not phone call. That's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. There's also the Trevor Project, which is primarily for LGBTQ individuals who are dealing with depression and suicide. They have a phone number as well, 1-866-488-7386. And you can also chat with them via text. If you text them at 1-202-304-1200 and text Trevor in the text line. I also want to give a shout out to the Utah County Crisis Line, the line that I volunteered at for almost two years. And if you are in Utah County, this is actually a really valuable resource. Their phone number is 1-801-691-5433. There's also another resource that I want to mention that Jordan, Katie, and I actually talk about in the discussion. And this is at the University of Utah Hospital Uh, what's commonly referred to as UNI, the University Neuropsychiatric Institute. You can actually contact them direct through their phone number at 1-801-583-2500. This is actually a very valuable resource for those that are suffering with any form of mental illness. There's also lots of support groups out there, depending on where you live, It's definitely worthwhile to Google to see if there's some near you if you're in a situation where you could really use use someone to talk to or go to someone who's been there or understands. And of course, I want to reiterate the fact that there's always professional therapy available. But the bottom line is I just want the audience to know this, first and foremost. No matter how low it gets, there's always a way out of that dark, lowly place. It might not feel like it, But there truly, truly is. And there's a lot of people, including myself, that's willing to do just about anything. To lend an ear, a shoulder, two arms, whatever it takes. To let you know that you're loved and cared for. Just let us be there for you. So before we actually start this discussion, I also want to say one other thing. Because the audio is going to be a little different. It's actually going to sound like Jordan and Katie are in the room while I sound distant and that's because they actually recorded it on their end and I was kind of the call-in guest because my recording for some reason had a strange distortion that I I couldn't quite pinpoint. So would I. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. And there's a little bit of sound glitch that I'm getting but it's like every few, I don't know what it is, like every minute or two. It might be on my end though, so I don't know. Are you I'm guys, not getting it. You're not yeah, hearing I anything? I don't hear it. No. Right. But I, I also don't hear me What's, like, at what, all. What is it doing? It's like, it's like a weird uh, distortion. Yeah, it's but it's coming through like when uh, about every two or three minutes. But I think it might be on my end from when either Jordan or Katie is talking. Like I'm not hearing <laughs> They're right there, right there. At first I thought the distortion was probably just coming through on my headphones and it wasn't coming through on the recording. And because Jordan and Katie had mentioned that they weren't hearing it. And so I just went ahead with it. But it really did distract from the entire conversation as I was listening back to it. So I asked them if they had, because they had a producer that was there that was also recording on their end. And luckily, thank you, Gene, for recording the conversation on your end. And this will be the audio that you listen to. Okay, well, 
just to, to get started, um, as a quick disclaimer, at least for myself and then Jordan, Katie, and that you want to explain, but I, I want to just mention that we're talking about something incredibly heavy, incredibly serious, that's also very important to talk about. And uh, obviously, we'll be going to be talking about suicide. Uh, Jordan and Katie were impacted by it on probably the most deep level imaginable as parents. Um, so I just want to be extra cautious, uh, especially for both you, Jordan and Katie, that if at any time you want to stop or if you need to take a moment, I want to be very uh, careful and aware of that and give you guys extreme uh, patience and reverence in that department. Because um, I, I know that even though that there's been some time that's gone by, I know that these wounds for a lot of people and, and for, especially for parents probably never really truly heal. Yeah. So I want to be extremely um, aware of that. Thanks. And so if if at any time, you know, if, if I'm saying something or if, if something comes up and, uh, you know, it's either crosses the line or if you guys just need to stop or take Say a minute. Out of bounds yeah. or time out. Yeah. Okay. I just, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also want to mention um, that, you know, for anybody that's out there listening, that what we're going to be talking about. If you haven't been impacted by suicide with a friend or a family member or something like that, then, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm sure that all three of us would say that we wish we were you. Um, and I also want to mention that I've been deeply impacted by suicide back in 2011. Uh, one of my really good friends committed suicide. He, he was a father of four and, um, it was really tough and it was it was something that I, when I went through at the time, I didn't know how to process properly. I don't think anybody really knows how to process suicide properly. Um, I went through stages, anger, frustration, hurt, guilt, shame, all those things. Um, but anger seems to always be the one thing that would float to the top for me. And after about a year, I finally got to a point where I felt like I needed to do something. So I volunteered for the uh, local crisis hotline here where we take shifts and you'd answer the phone and talk to people. And, um, I felt like the only way I was really going to get over it is if I felt like I could help someone, anyone, even if it was just one person. And I know talking to you, Jordan, that, that you had mentioned that both you and Katie felt like that going through something like this, if you could just maybe help someone that I totally know that would, I know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that have been impacted by suicide. Is there anything that you guys want to talk about? Oh, I, I totally, I totally fail, fail you. That's what, that's, I guess why I'm here. Yeah. Um, it's a horrible thing. Nothing's going to take away from that. It hurts every day. Um, sometimes worse than others impacts my life in so many ways. Um, that seems to be able to lessen the blow if I'm able to pre maybe prevent that. Even just one, like you said. Yeah. It. Uh, not that it makes it better. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It lightens the burden. Yeah. Um, really quickly, a brief moment of levity. Uh, 
some of your mis- listeners may recognize Katie and me. We did the uh, Unequally Yoked podcast as Neil and Naomi Winters. Um, you totally outed by secret identity. I did. <laughs> um, but but we used to do a drinking game on that. Anytime that Katie would cry, we'd take a drink. So Get the tissues. <laughs> this is pretty heavy. I don't, yeah, I don't think that... <laughs> That's not going to work on this one, I don't uh, think. I hope. No, it won't. I, I may cry hey, too. So hey, alcohol always works. Where's mine? <laughs> Just kidding. <Yeah. laughs> so, okay, let's. And thank you for bringing up the unequally yoked. Yeah, I, I meant to mention that. No, let's let, let's talk a little bit about um, you guys. Um, can and I, can I tell her story? Is that, is that yeah. okay? I mean, feel yeah. free to edit it out, but no, please um, just give a little background. Yeah, in their story. People who knew Sabrina thought she was happy as all get out. She explored life, and and every moment of every day, she just sucked the marrow right out of it. You know how excited little kids are about the tiniest thing. You know, potato bug. That was her, and she was seventeen, and she got excited about that stuff. What was that video uh, you uh, found on her phone of the after birds? After she passed, I found a video on her phone. It was a full fifteen minutes of her videoing two birds and her narrating everything that they did, did and it totally entertained her. <laughs> wow! So, on the inside, though, that was on the outside for people who didn't know her well. On the inside, she suffered with grave depression she had tried to commit suicide before she had self-harmed and we were really working with her we knew she was having a tough time um and she has something they wouldn't actually diagnose it as this but if something bad happened she would spiral very quickly into i should be dead and it could be the simplest thing we had gotten into an argument over her cleaning the bathroom and um, she started to spiral. And I, I made the mistake of telling her to clean the fucking bathroom, which wasn't the smartest thing to do. She locked the door, and there were a bottle of pills in there. In the bathroom. And she took them. Um, 60 plus of Wellbutrin. I don't know if you guys know what it is. And the problem is it's, it's extend, extended release, so it stays in your system for quite a while. It's a, it's a, It's for... Antidepressant yeah. mood. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we were messing with her meds, trying to get something better, because uh, she's had times when it was better and times when it's worse. So right away, Jessica said, Mom, she, she just... Jessica's te- our she, oldest. Yeah, she said, Mom, she just texted me and told me, um, I love you. And so I knew, I'm like, somebody, let's let's get in the door, I don't know if we need to call 911. I'll take her to the hospital. So I got her quickly in less than five minutes. And I put her in the car and drove her to the ER. The whole time she was trying to get out of the car saying, just let me die. Just let me die. (laughs) So when we got there, it was quite a while before the emergency people did anything. Um, I expected them to pump her stomach right then and there, give her some charcoal. Nothing happened. They kept saying, we're with poison control, trying to consult about what to do. About 45 minutes later, they gave her some charcoal. And uh, 
the plan was to send her to a specialty hospital until she was physically well enough to go um, to another place, you know, what people would call a mental institution, which I don't like that term. But can I have some of that water, not beer? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My mouth is super dry. When can can you guys just give a timeline of when this when this all happened? This was October. October October fifteenth or fourteenth, somewhere in there is when she did her initial Yeah. By the time we had gotten her to the ER, a little bit after that, we had got her laughing. She didn't want to die anymore. So it was a good twenty minutes that she wanted to die. That's it. Twenty minutes. And so they took her overnight to at a specialty hospital um, just for observation. In the morning, I got a call that said her condition had changed, that I should get to the hospital as soon as I can, that she had had some seizures. It's a children's specialty hospital That's here all in that they told me. So I get in the car, and I'm there in 50 minutes. So I start I find out where her room is. I start walking up. I, un- I open the elevator, and there is the sign, uh, what is that called? Intensive care unit. Intensive care unit. And I go, okay, don't overreact. It's going to be okay. Uh, They're just probably taking precautions, you know? So they showed me to my room, and when they unveiled her in the curtain, she was in a bathrobe with tubes down her throat on life support. And she looked just like a vegetable, her eyes half open. There was no way she was going to be able to talk. When the doctors finally came in and talked to me, I asked what her outlook looked like. He said, we don't know. She might be mentally retarded for her whole life. She might have brain damage. She might not wake up. We just don't know. So she was on life support for a good two days. And then they decided to wean her off. And when she got up, she we got her laughing and 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 she hit on her male nurse way too much that they had to change nurses. <laughs> the pain medicine really made her uh, just speak out loud. Any thought? <laughs> well, they, he must have, they had pretty to, handsome too, huh? Yeah, he was. I I had a crush on him. Her thing is oh, nice. her thing was no. always like, is he hot with boys? He, she <laughs> she she came off of she came out of sedation and then they had to put her back under because her heart rate was going really low or something. Yeah. No. Um. What happened was. She came off. We had her laughing. She was having a good time. She was still super groggy. Um, And then it started to sound like she was really struggling for breath. And I was like, okay, we need to get someone in here. The doctor came in. Her lungs had taken in a whole bunch of fluid because they had woken her up too quickly. So they had to put her back under on life support. And so... Long story short, she ended up being fine within another day, and they were moving her down to a regular room. I spent the night with her. I washed her hair. We talked and chatted. She told me she was still sad but didn't want to die, you know, was trying to struggle to laugh and be happy. Um, And then the next morning, I went home to watch my sons play and said, see you in the morning, honey. And the next morning, I got another call and said, "Um, are you on your way to the hospital? Her her condition has changed. <laughs> they always tell you, like, just the littlest bit so that you don't wreck on the way there because you're trying so hard to get there. Yeah. Um, 
when I got to the hospital, somebody um, came out to talk to me and took me into a separate room. They told me um, after we intubated Sabrina, her heart stopped. We've been doing CPR for half an hour. If you would like to come and watch them finish, you are welcome to. So I went back there, and I held her hand, and I pleaded with her to come back. After about an hour, the doctor came in, and, well, he was there the whole time, but he told me, I don't know what kind of quality of life would happen even if we could save her. We've been doing it for an hour. I just don't think we can do it. Um, One of the things from me watching that, it was cathartic in that I felt like I was there with her and I did everything I could. But it also has traumatized me. I can't get the visuals of her in a diaper the first time with tubes looking like a vegetable. I, I can't get rid of the picture of them pressing so hard on my baby that her body bounces back up when they do compressions. They did compressions for another half hour and she was gone. I knew before then she was gone. Um, I guess the thing that I want most out of this is I want people who struggle with any sort of mental illness to realize when you're at your lowest, it's not going to last. You don't see reality cannot see it everything looks horrible and you're sure it's going to last forever when you're in that moment you make a decision of something that will pass based off of information that isn't real isn't a reality if people can just make it through those moments do something to distract yourself until you can see a little bit more clearly if people turn to those who they love and trust and ask them what reality is. You could pass those 20 minutes and get the help you need and make a steady incline of health. I mean, you're always going to have ups and downs. You know, this is an illness that doesn't go away. It's uh, it's like diabetes. You always have to monitor it and make changes and just do your best to stay on top of it, you know. One of the things that I have told, because I have talked to a, a couple of depressed children who have said that they want to die before, um, it's kind of funny, but I told them to have a sadness emer- emergency kit. So even just like a box or a bag, in it you put a list of contacts of anyone that you can reach out to who's part of your support, support system, including the suicide hotline, um, and you put anything that helps you be distracted or makes you happy. It can be pictures, it can be crossword puzzles, it can be a video, you have snacks in there, your favorite chocolate if you want chocolate. My daughter has her tiara in there, and I'm not kidding, she wears her tiara on days where she's having a hard time and watches her favorite movie and draws. That's how she gets through it. And parents, that's a really easy thing you can do. 
do a sadness emergency kit so that during those low times when you can't see reality, you can just make it through until you're a little bit better and know how to get all the way better. That's really, really good advice. And I I just want to say, Katie, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm deeply touched that you're willing to share that experience in as much detail as you're comfortable with, but I just want to honor that, that, you know, how difficult, um, of a moment that would be for anyone. Um, and I just want to just take a minute and say, thank you for sharing it because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to patronize you by saying, I know what it feels like. Cause I can't, I don't think any, you know, for both you and Jordan, I don't think there's anyone that can. One of the worst really parts of it too was having to go back to the waiting room and tell my daughter, my daughter who'd come with me and she was best friends with Sabrina that she didn't make it. My daughter <sighs> knew that she had been doing CPR for half an hour. And then I had to get all my kids and my husband to the hospital in a safe manner by not telling them so that I could tell them. As I told each one of them, they all responded differently, of course. Everyone grieves in their own unique way, which is great. Whatever works. Um, My, how old is he? 12, 13? Charles was 12 at the time. He stands up and for good minute runs around like just saying no no she's not no just having to watch each of them go through it and then having to tell my husband when he got here and and Jordan said when I told him he just said no are you serious and he wouldn't believe it I said you need to come see her touch her she's cold and he had to, like, I made him. And it wasn't till then that it really sunk in for him. I kept asking her to wake up. She did. He did over and over again. Sabrina, wake up. Hmm. That's the other thing I want people to realize who are suffering with mental illness. The um, There's a lot of people who love you. And when you're in those dark times, you think that they would be better off without you. You think that, either that or you think nobody cares about you. There were hundreds of people at her, at her funeral. I'm talking about how deeply it affected me. If you can't try to get through it for yourself, get through it for your loved ones. Push through. I promise it will get better. I promise there's always something you can do. Always. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that I've uh, had to take notice. You know, being involved in in the suicide support community is having to remind them because when you you're totally right, Katie. That when you know whether you're fighting a mental illness or just chronic clinical depression or whatever it is, that when you're that low, it's nearly impossible for them to even think or realize that there are people that love them. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like almost this switch that goes off in their mind. They can't even yeah. imagine that someone loves them. Which is why in the Sadness Emergency book, there's pictures of people who are loving her. I actually had yeah. people who love her write a little message for her in a journal so that they could read it. This is my other daughter. Sabrina, sometimes something that worked for her. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of singing bowls. 
No. Yeah, it's it. It's like really, Tibetan or something. Yeah, as you're as you're making it uh, ring, um, it takes this concentration and and calmness to be able to hit just the right rhythm and um, strength so that it makes this nice you know ringtone. She would use those that we would once she was in what we would call her emotional mind. She would use those to focus and get back into her um, conscious mind, back to reality, and and it would it was simple. I mean, it could it happened as soon as a minute. I was shocked that it helped so well, but for her that was big. Just getting past her, yeah, emotional mind. Back to right. I think that's back to that's rationality. Really yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe it's just me being a little bit selfish, but um, could each of you share, you know, just some one random wonderful moment of Sabrina? Oh, that'd be just kind of just kind of to, I don't know, to celebrate her and to shine some light yeah. in the darkness. Yeah, I I um I have video on my Facebook page of her. Um, I don't know if you ever some some stupid chicken game where you balk it balk, 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 at the, at <laughs> on the, your phone on your phone and when the louder you, you balk it jumps the higher it jumps and we've got video of her at the um at the campground a couple a year and a half ago or so balking at the phone and it was so hilarious and you know, of course, we all tried to distract her. <laughs> she got very annoyed. <laughs> but, but yeah, that that's that's a good memory I have of her. Yeah, um, she loved to sing, dance, and do acting. And one that I love, uh, I swear it was just like she was a star, just this peak person. She had a solo, and she was doing a dance, and she did this amazingly hard vocal run which I know because I'm a vocal teacher and she nailed it even after dancing it. And I was, Oh, I was so proud of her. She was a funky zombie in some weird play. So proud of her. (laughs) But, but for me, my fondest memories are when we were just being silly. I honestly, when I got bored and I'm driving in the car, I would call her and I would say, Sabrina, entertain me. <laughs> and she would do some random thing to entertain me <laughs> while I was bored. That's awesome. <laughs> she also had a mermaid tail. Yeah. She, and a 17-year-old with a mermaid tail, and she would go to the pool and swim in her mermaid tail. <laughs> Which is the reason why I got a mermaid tattoo. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, and they had a website when they, or they were younger. No, YouTube. Do you know... Random randomness, I think, is what it's called. Her and Jessica, and she does some pretty funny things with her Justin Bieber cardboard cutout. <laughs> <laughs> May he rest in peace. We, we put in her in her obituary that she was preceded in death by her Justin Bieber cardboard cutout. <laughs> <laughs> it's just they they we we got that for them one year and. Uh, she said swore, she wanted it. We're yeah, like, she, you're not going to play with we it. didn't think she'd ever play with it. And they got more use out of that stupid thing than almost anything else they ever had. After he broke, they put it on the toilet, making him look like he was sitting down. So when I opened it, I literally screamed. I thought someone was in my house. Uh, imagine. Oh, my God. That's great. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. That actually makes me smile thinking that, uh, you know, I, that's one of the things that I love is just, you know, those moments of just being absolutely silly and just kind of <laughs> letting, letting the world wash away is, you know, I think that's nice. She loved boys like you could not imagine. We would, Lots of cr- any crushes. boy that we were driving past, she literally like <laughs> looked at him, would move till her neck, like till her head was to back the whole time. Is he hot? Is he hot? Is he hot? Her <laughs> friends, this is awful. I didn't know this till after she passed. Whenever a guy walked by, they'd go, mm, seven. And they'd all give their raping, oh, mm, wow. eight. And Sprina's was always higher than the rest of them. Like, always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That's awesome. Yeah. Look, from the outside looking in, you no, you really had no idea of the demons going on in her mind. I mean, she worked at, at Golden Corral. Uh, they loved her there. She loved it there. Um, and they they were shocked, flabbergasted, when we told them what happened. Well, Katie told yeah, them. Yeah, they couldn't imagine. Isn't, isn't that usually how it works, where it's kind of like whether you're depressed or you're fighting demons that you kind of keep it to yourself, right? And it's almost like you're living a facade, right? Yeah. You're putting putting on a front and then you go home and then that's when you all the demons come out and you, it's even harder to deal with sometimes. Yeah. And I think looking for warning signs, uh, parents and friends, if they start saying I love you to all of you at one time, if they start giving their stuff away, um, if they stop doing activities that they love, or don't find joy in them. And and boys, their depression, they have different sy- symptoms. Instead of being sad and crying, they can be angry and aggressive and really upset. And uh, yeah, you wouldn't think that's depression, but it is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important to talk about. And it was I remember when I was going through my training for suicide that they talked about watching for red flags, watching for symptoms and, and things to watch for. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that when there's some abnormal behavior, as subtle as it is, you know, they, they stop listening to the music that they love, or if they lock themselves in their room for way too long when they're normally don't do that, you know, just things that are way out of the pattern of normal behavior. Just watch for those things. Yeah. I don't think real uh, people realize, um, how common it is, and it's becoming more common. I did not know this, but uh, 70, well, let's get this right. Um, Those who spend more than four hours of screen time per day uh, are 70% more likely to have depression. Wow. That's huge. Wow, that is huge. And they're on their, at least at my kid's school, they're on their computer doing their schoolwork. They come home and talk to their friends. They watch TV. I mean, you're basically on it almost all the time. Yeah, on your iPhone, playing games, I Xbox or whatever game you're into. Yeah, I read I read a statistic. Uh, I think it was from 2016. That said that suicide finally uh, overtook car accident deaths, as far as uh, teenagers and young adults. That does not surprise it, me. It is, but that's staggering. If that's, I mean, I, I, I often wonder this because, in fact, in the last year, there's uh, been three people that I haven't been like closely 
involved with, but like peripherally, you know, like a friend of a friend that have killed themselves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an epidemic right now. And I feel like this, whether it's the statistics or just the fact that it seems like, you know, how everybody knows someone who has cancer. Well, it's getting to a point where every one of us mm-hmm. knows someone that's been impacted by suicide. And I feel like, you know, everyone needs you, to spend a minute and wake up to it. Yeah. You know, three months after her high school, somebody else committed suicide. No kidding. Yeah. Within three months. <sighs> there was a there's a high school up in northern Utah uh, where my wife's niece goes to. And there was eight suicides in one semester. Wow. It's so bad. It it is so horrible that it is easier to get a gun in this country than it is to have health care. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah. We, we don't need, need to go too too political. No, I'm not and I'm not talking about guns. I, that's fine. If you want to buy guns uh, without whatever regulations. Right. It should be at least be that easy to get health care, you know? Like I know a lot of people they don't go to counseling, they don't get medicine because they don't have good health care. They don't right. have health insurance. And, Costs too much. And, and even even not getting political, like there's so many if you if you're even remotely informed about suicide, there's so many factors. There's so many factors that are involved in getting a person to where they start to consider it, right? And it and one of them is the ease of it, whether it's a firearm or, you know, whether there's drugs involved or mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they just want to hang themselves, which is all too common as well, it's, it's just something that (sighs) there's no real easy fix, you know, like even if there was gun control, there'd still be suicides and, you know, all these things we just, it's like, this is a really messy and complicated issue, but it's something that we all need to work together at, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like. This is a post-war podcast. Everyone, it, it's becoming more and more common for members to know someone who's left the church. And it, like you said, right. it's, it's it's becoming almost as common to know someone who's committed suicide. And it's it's scary and yeah. it's concerning. Yeah. I would like to hear about Jordan's grieving process. Yeah, because please, Jordan. I, it, it's a mystery to me, you know, because he's the quiet, silent type trying to be this stoic man, you know, for his <sighs> whole family. I mean, I've seen you break down and cry, and I've seen you mourn, but it hasn't been like... I write. Outright, yeah. I was very obviously... <laughs> yeah, we, we had a good friend from the local Humanist Alliance come over to our house and told me that he was more worried about me than he was about Katie because I exhibited very little emotion. Um, Which means you're bottling it up during this situation. I, I know, but I wrote I wrote a, a five page Facebook post, and then um, which got it out, and then I mean, I about once a week once. Or once or twice a week, sometimes once every other week, I get really emotional and weepy. Um, when I first, when when she first passed, I was having a hard time with work, concentrating and staying on task. Um, but now I, it's just I try and fill it when I fill it, and if I don't, I 
try not to. I, I mean, honestly, I try not to think about it too much because I, I don't like turning to that source of pain. Sure. It's understandable, you know, but, you know, you kind of have to be prepared for when those waves of grief will hit you. Yeah. And, and it's fun. You know, you mentioned that your, your grief was in the form of anger. And uh, I honestly haven't felt a lot of anger over this. Um, Me neither. So I'm a little Except annoyed. Except it myself. Uh, yeah, I'm not mad. I would never, ever blame Katie. The only person that I've, I'm slightly angry at is a hospital because what ended up killing her was a pulmonary embolism, and um, which is a result of her being immobile for so long. So we don't know if the hospital could have done more to... Have, oh, they uh, could have. They should have been giving uh, anticoagulants. Like heparin or something. Yeah, heparin. So that that's the only source of anger that I've had, but even then it hasn't been that much. Because um, well, they did do so much for her. Yeah. The people there were amazing. So, yeah, and I just, I don't know, I just try and function on a day-to-day basis and get my work done because got to, life, I mean, as much as you want it to stop, it just keeps plugging along. And if you, if you stop for one thing, you're going to, ruin a lot of people's lives you know at least for me i've got a lot of people depending on me sure well and and i don't want to ask this question with any judgment i hope you don't think so but have either of you thought about counseling or therapy and especially your other kids sir several of our kids are going we we both have done counseling before not about this Uh i know we intend to go on a grief group but we never go we've (laughs) i i've been to counseling a couple times for this um and it's it's been okay. I, I I guess the times when I feel it most is usually in the evening. Um, after the whiskey. After the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't supposed to broadcast that, but um, <laughs> but I'll get I'll get to a point where I'll start I'll start crying and thinking and but it's usually to myself, which you know if I was if I was Katie I'd probably be bawling my eyes out, but for me I I we I tear up and tears come down my cheeks which is a lot of emotion for me so even even our son last night he came and started telling me how sad he was and cried and wanted cuddles and we just cried together that's nice that that he's at least being willing to open up about his pain and his grief yeah that's tough you know and i you know as i've sort of watched from a distance you know jordan you'll every once in a while you'll you'll post something about sabrina and and for me you know i always think that's that's a very loving and healthy way of kind of going through the healing process and everybody heals differently and like you said jordan you know even if you're just kind of moving on and you know you still got a job to do you still got responsibilities and you're just you know trying to cope little by little um, I, I don't, I think that's perfectly fine. Just, you know, be ready. I think that's, that's the one thing that I remember learning about was you always got to be ready and prepared because when the grief hits you, it could be anything. You could be driving around, you know, and then all of a sudden a song triggers or if yeah. a, a, a movie scene triggers or, you know, that handsome nurse triggers or whatever it is, something hits you and then just waves hit you. And if you're not ready for it, it could be debilitating, you know? Yeah, I was on the road sitting at the hotel bar almost crying to myself. That was that was a little rough. The NBA Eastern Conference Finals were on, and I'm 
sitting there with tears running down my the face. Finals are so touching. <laughs> Nobody probably even noticed me, but I felt pretty weird. But you know, I I don't didn't want to go back to the hotel room and be by myself. I wanted to be out and around people because sure, just to get a little bit more strength. I'm always distraction, distraction. That's that's how I I cope, which is probably super not healthy, but it works. I'm okay if I'm in a place where I can feel it and I can cry and, you know, go through it. And I love, I love talking about all the funny things about her and how fun she was. And I think for a full two days straight after she passed, that's all I did. I told stories to all my friends. We watched videos of her. We laughed. We cried. (laughs) You know? Of course. Of course. Her and Jessica had a YouTube channel if, uh, it's called what Bina and Jess or something. No, I think it's randomness. No, it's Bina and Jess. Bina and Jess. Yeah, it it's them when they were younger at our old house. You got to look with, it up. Some of the stuff they do is hilarious, and some of it some is, of it's boring. Yeah, but, but definitely watch the dance with Justin Bieber. I showed that at Sabrina's funeral. Oh yeah, we did, and that's our daughter. We had a we we had a really good funeral home here. Um, Calvin Cook was the name of the mortuary, and they had a uh, uh, nice audiovisual setup where we were able to broadcast her funeral on YouTube um, and show videos and do musical numbers. So it, it turned out really, really nice the way that the funeral home handled it. We were going to do it in the church, and then the local 70 said no, which honestly was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, because it, ah. it was better to be able to do what we did what we did yeah but you know what our our bishop was so sad and embarrassed by that because he's like i would have said yes that's ridiculous he was just out of town so yeah that, they called that does someone seem else. really weird that they would say that yeah. But yeah and we were worried in utah that the church wouldn't let us they don't even you know the pe- people probably don't remember us that well because it's been a while but they did. Yeah, we came out to Utah and did a funeral service at we our old stake at the center. Church. Yeah. So. And there was a lot of leniency with what was said, you know. Leadership roulette. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I don't want for you guys to feel like you are pressured into speaking for the rest of your kids, but I'm genuinely curious. You talked a little bit about your son and then your older daughter, who is really close to Sabrina. Yeah. Um, how. How have they, how have they been? And obviously, you talk to them, and that's that's a thing that you guys, you know, are constantly on the forefront of your minds. How how they been? I would love to go through each one of them. Our oldest, that was probably closest to her, um, she suffers with a whole magnitude of mental illness. It's been so bad. She thought she'd be the one that this yeah. happened to. Yeah, she doesn't know how she's still alive. I mean, wow. she's tried to commit suicide, too, before a couple times. Um, her worst fears was losing her sister or oh. somebody close to her. Um, being sexually assaulted, which a month before all of this happened, she was sexually and physically assaulted. Oh, my gosh. And uh, what was the third one? I can't even remember. Um, so now she's like, I have faced all of my worst fears and I'm still here. 
And somehow that has given her strength. And she feels, which I think is good for her, um, because she's not atheist or anything like that. She's spiritual, not not Mormon or anything. But um, she thinks that Sabrina is out there watching over her, protecting her. And it helps her. It helps her. Um, she ha- doesn't she have a little shrine for Sabrina in her room? Yeah, and we have a shrine in our house too. We call it our <sighs> bean, our Bina shrine. Um, okay, so our second oldest, she's very quiet. Doesn't want to talk about it. Seems like when we do talk about it, she kind of shuts down. The school had somebody come in after the second suicide. And uh, who was a suicide expert, he spoke to the school, and then he took the two families of the two kids that had had done that, and he focused in on Miriam more than anybody else from our family. And she she cried talking to him. It, you, She has not let us in the door to how painful this is for her, but we saw a little bit of a glimpse for it. So she's, she's in counseling because I think she feels more comfortable talking to a counselor yeah. than to us which is okay and she you know, cries but... we cry and hug and remember funny things sure um, the 12 year old he's struggling a lot the the one that cried to me he uh he's 13 now he's th- oh my gosh i'm the worst mom um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah he's struggling a ton um he goes to his school counselor a lot and goes to regular counseling and he cries quite a bit about it, and he tells us that he misses Sabrina a lot. And the school shootings, the recent school shootings haven't helped oh. at all. He, he didn't want to go to school. He's like, Mom, I'm not going. I don't feel safe. Because he's seen what it's done to have, like to us, to have a, a child no longer be with us, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. With, and it just seems like we... All too often, the news is reporting another one. I know. Yeah. Just, it's it's awful. just getting worse. It's so. Anyway, side tangent. The youngest yeah. one seems to be the most resilient, which makes sense. Little kids are. <laughs> and I'm he's, sure. He's nine? Is he nine? He's now? 10. He's 10. See, I'm a bad dad. But, with, <laughs> but, with, but Katie's dad passed away. Um, and yeah, like and a month he, after. Huh? And he didn't. He's like, I can't. He didn't want to go to the funeral. He's like, I can't take it i That's can't do true. another Our one kids didn't want to go oh, some wow. of them i mean some of them were like yeah i want to wow yeah yeah so but that's them and the it, dog doesn't know uh the dog knows she misses sabrina and she knows at least she knew we were all going through something because anytime someone was crying or having a hard time, she was running up to him and licking him and trying to get him to pet her. Yeah, so the dog actually really helps. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about the dog. But, oh, actually, okay. It helps depression. Like, they did a study on it, and dogs help depression. Not cats. It didn't work with cats. But dogs, it did. So... Just you hear FYI. all that cat people switch over. I know. Yeah, right. If you're, you're messed up, you're going to be all, de- all depressed. <laughs> Basically, you're going to die because you had a cat. Sorry, my humor is really dark. No, t- totally understandable, right? Um, but I, 
I know that you guys are still, you know, in the throes of this and we've touched on some of the, some of the advice that especially you Katie have touched on, you know, watching for red flags and things to look for, um, for people that are out there listening, potentially, uh, what advice would you say, uh, for them to either watch for, whether it's a loved one or a friend or someone close to, uh, watch for, and maybe even like, what are ways to reach out? Communication, communication, communication. I cannot say it enough. You need to make an environment in your home where your kids feel comfortable to come talk to you, which is really hard as a parent because we can come off really judgmental <laughs> to our children. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so they don't tell us stuff. But um, getting them to be able to talk to you and even just asking, hey, how you doing? I noticed this and this. Are, are you having a rough time? I'm here for you, you know? Um I mean, I don't, I don't know what else people can do. Sometimes all a person needs is just to be with someone. You don't even have to do anything. And validation, too. I mean, I, I think it's, I don't think it's healthy. If a kid comes up and tells you, I'm sad, I don't think it's a good idea to say, no, you're not. You don't have anything to be sad about. Yeah, you shouldn't <laughs> be. It's bad to right. feel that way. Something you know, right. You gotta, you gotta. Just pick yourself it, up, your bootstraps. <laughs> You've got to explore the sadness with them and, and yeah. get on their level and, and understand why are you sad. Let's talk about what's making you sad and then and then help th- have them come up with their own solutions on how to get out of it. Um, yeah. Not, but, but telling people how to feel, I think, is a bad so course of action. So not helpful. It makes it worse. Yeah. You know, I, my youngest, who's nine now, she... She came to me just distraught, right? Just super emotional. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, all the red flags going off in my head? Like, what, what could possibly be wrong? And she went to tell me that, you know, during a recess, she wanted to play this one game. It wasn't tag, it was something else. And the girls didn't want to play with her, didn't want to play her game. And it was just, you know, and it, and every parent's like, like, suck it up. That's nothing, not a problem. <laughs> Right. Every parent goes through that phase like, oh, thank God it wasn't anything like crucial. It wasn't like a, abuse or anything. But then it's also you, you immediately start to move to the eye rolling moment. Like, really? This is this. This was your number one emotional thing. But yeah, you still have to. And I, I think I kind of was grinding through it enough to say, all right. <laughs> Validate it just enough. Yeah. Yeah, honey, that My sounds gosh. rough. I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. And, right. and, and by no means does that mean to imply that we're good at it. We've had situations. We have our moments where we're really good. And, and we have our moments where we're really bad, too. Yeah. Sure. I mean, sure. we had a... And I'm really good at remembering the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> As we all are, yeah. Yeah, we've had kids come up to us with stuff where we're like, Suck it up and deal with it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Go away. <laughs> you came to us at four in the morning for this? I know. Gosh, she did. She really did. Can I tell the one about the nurse? And Please. Yeah. <laughs> this one I don't care if you air. She's dead. <laughs> See my horrible dark humor? Okay. Coming off the sedation, like I said, she had no... What is that? Filter? No filter. No filter. And so all of her very sexual and I love boys came out uh, very extreme. 
In fact, when one of the girls was changing her diaper, she her eyes were closed. She could barely like feel or make sense of anything. She turns to her sister and she says, with a totally confused face, "Am I having sex?" <laughs> totally confused. And then this male doctor that she gets, who thinks she like what she saw him through the hall, and she literally tried to get up out of the bed and she was hooked up to oxygen and all these cords they her cousin was there they had to sit her back down they did yeah <laughs> she was ready to go to him <laughs> and then she like side she, she was, cornered him she was really obsessive like um <laughs> she was asking all the nurses if she, if he had a girlfriend she goes um, oh, and she was asking the she female nurses. She said it was nurses. her boyfriend. Yeah, she was asking the female nurses if they had boyfriends because she they can't touch him. Yeah, they. Did. He was hers. She wanted to get married, and like we we shared with her how old she was, and she said, "That's okay, I'll change him." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So are are there things? Obviously, hopefully, you know, talking right now is part of the healing process are there other things we've talked about some of the things but i'm wondering if there's anything else that kind of comes to the front of your mind of, of helping with healing you know whether it's uh like you said your son that would come and say i'm hurting I'm, i miss her and cry but for whether the two of you together or alone is there something that's kind of helps you go through it do you like listen to some of her favorite songs and that helps or i don't know I like seeing videos of her when she was laughing and being silly and remembering all those times. Sure. Yeah. I I just like to dwell to think about her, I guess, is where I spend... When I'm in the mood, I'll think about her and remember her and then think she's never coming back and that'll get more painful. But just, just remembering who she was and looking at pictures of her... Um, I looked through all of our old text messages between the two of us one time, and that was that was really cathartic because I was worried because one of the things she said um, as she was waking up from sedation was that I didn't love her. Uh, Daddy doesn't love me, which broke my heart. Oof, yeah, because um, wow. I got so mad at her when she when she took those pills. I mean, nobody gives you. Uh, a playbook on how to react when your kid does something like that. And my first reaction, unfortunately, was anger. I was livid. I was so mad. Um, Because it really seemed like she was doing it to get back at us. Yeah. And and I thought she'd only taken like like six or seven pills. I didn't realize how many she had taken um, until we counted how many were in the pill bottle left over. So, we were, so, anyway, so I I read through the uh, text messages and was shocked at how often I told her that I loved her, and I was glad to know that I had done that. Um, Right. But but that's, these things happen, and nobody teaches you, nobody warns you on how you're going to react in such an emotional crisis. Right. Uh, I like to reframe the thinking about how horrible it is that we're not going to have her anymore. Um, to, I got a full 17 years with a almost wonderful, 18. yeah, almost 18 
with a wonderful daughter. I got to be with her. I got to experience life with her. And I might never have had that. And I watch people who their brand new babies are are dying, you know, from being born too early or or somebody miscarried or whatever it is that killed your young child. And I just think, thank goodness I got as much as I did because it was a privilege. It was a blessing. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. One last question. Um, because I, my experience being associated in the suicide support stuff and all that, um, and even kind of reflecting back to myself when I talked about when my friend had killed himself and I, I went through severe anger and guilt and shame. Um, and I know this is all too common. And, and even some of the phone calls that I dealt with, there was a lot of people that uh, talked about when they lose a really close one um, to suicide that they feel tremendous uh, guilt and shame. And you guys talked about this a little bit earlier how you you don't feel that way, and I think that's a oh, wonderful, no. wonderful he thing. He doesn't feel that way. I he doesn't feel that way. No, I blame myself. In you any do. Way. I do absolutely. And I go through, and I have like because you know how therapists will say, look for evidence to see if that thought is true. Sure. And there's evidence. To, in my mind, there is. Nobody else. But. I really feel that it was my fault. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be the person that tells you that you're wrong, even though that's my instinctual reaction. And, and I'm sure that Jordan's, I heard him say that earlier in this discussion. Yeah. I um, don't blame her at all. Well, so, luckily the, I'm a debater, so I can think of <laughs> arguments on both sides. Okay. But right, right now, in an emotional way, the side that says it was my fault is way stronger argument than right. the other. This, I'm this, hoping I get to where that's not true. I, I, I really, really hope, yeah, that you get to a plateau where that's true too. I, you know, and and for me. The, the questions still haven't stopped, even even all through all these years where I ask myself, it, the, was there something that I could have done? There was something I could have said if I would have made that last phone call, if I would have done this, that that would have tipped the scales the other way. And I'm sure that that's part of... That's what I do, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's so not helpful, and it's really destructive internally. Um as I'm thinking about it, but do you have uh, let's just, let's just pretend Katie that you're the therapist and maybe someone comes to you that's gone through something similar, not the same, something similar and asks you how they can deal with the guilt and shame and the personal responsibility they're putting on themselves. What would you say? Um, when it comes down to it, a person's choices are their own and you don't know the factors that go into that of what they would decide. You may have been part of it, maybe, yeah, of all of the crap in their life, but um, something was always going to tip the scales for that person. Um, you can't choose. They, they choose, and there's only so much you can do 
to help a choice. Um, I don't know what else I would say. But I mean, you you never know when that final straw is going to go on their back, so to speak. Right. You think that that's the scary thing is you think everything is going well. I mean, we thought we were heading uphill with Sabrina she in the good an direction. Up. Yeah. She and was. just which is why I don't blame Katie. It just, something just triggered it. I mean, what the fight that we had with her over the bathroom was a fight that I had with my parents and that most kids have with their parents where it's like right. you get pissed, you you yell at each other and then the next day you make kiss and make up so to speak. And right. and you move on with life. That's what I thought that fight was, and it it wasn't. Can I talk just a little bit about shame? You had mentioned it earlier. Um, that was one of the worst fights that we've probably had. Not not a great parent moment. <laughs> and uh, and I had written down. I went back and wrote a note saying, you know, I let this thing slide that you did I let this thing slide I didn't punish you too much on this thing I asked you to clean the bathroom it's time for you to pay the piper and I slipped it under the door and so in my mind that's the straw that broke the back and there's also another a a million other things where oh yeah that's what broke it oh that's what could have stopped it um It's so important as a parent to not shame our children. There's a difference between letting them know right and wrong and when they've made a bad choice. But making a bad choice does not make you a bad person. Right. And um, just making them feel so horrible about themselves for making a bad choice. It's easy to do that as a parent because it works with getting behavior. But it destroys, it destroys their emotions. Um, yes. If you feel guilt, that's okay. Shame, no, don't shame your kids. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, there's uh, there was a recent suicide. It's not anyone that I knew, but I I saw it in the paper, and it was a friend of a friend of a friend um, that knew this person, and. He was 22, 23. Um, the parents didn't acknowledge the suicide at all. And I was wondering if maybe you guys had some thoughts on this, um, where the family decided to, I don't know, hide the fact that it was a suicide because of shame. Yes. And we were talking about shame, and, and they felt like we don't want to talk about how he died because that's going to reflect, um, I don't know if it's failure as parents or failure as a family. Um, and there's just so much shame involved in that. And that's, that's also one thing that I want to acknowledge and really honor to both of you that you never took that route. Not to say that it's understandable when people do that route, but I just want to acknowledge how wonderful and proud of that I am of you guys that you got out in front of it and, and acknowledged it and, I don't know, because in this situation that I'm recalling here, they completely sort of hid that aspect that I don't know if it casts a shadow on that person's life. It feels like it does, 
and I'm, I'm always conflicted about it because I always feel like I totally understand where the family's coming from when they want to hide that it was a suicide. But then on the other side, it's like, well, that still was something that happened to that person. I don't know. I don't know it's, if you guys have thoughts on it, that. It's one of those things I, I've had people tell me, don't let her death define her life. Right. And and it's a it's a delicate balance to not let it define her life, but also to acknowledge that that's what ended her life. Um, right. And to try and use it as a as a learning uh, experience for other people. I mean, I I wanted to speak at the funeral. I for the specific pers- purpose of addressing her manner of death and um and telling other people that this doesn't have to happen to you. Um, right. But I I mean, I feel like being honest about emotions and about this situation is is terribly important. Because, um, I mean, how how are we all going to heal and grow from it and learn from somebody else's mistake if we don't acknowledge that it was an issue? I, and I'm not saying that other people have to feel that feel the same way that I do, but that's how I felt. I think right. as a society, you you owe it to try to get rid of that shame and to have it be so taboo. I think you need to speak up and say. This is just like diabetes. Would you hide that? Would that be shameful? Uh, right. To, uh, to have to monitor your sugar. Oh, let's not tell anyone. And and would we be blaming and looking for who caused it? You know, mental illness is an illness. And it is not shameful to get it treated. And it's not your fault, um, somebody else's fault for depression. It just yeah. happens. It's it's their burden, and there's only so much someone can do to help lift it. Um, but it really, it's just a sickness. Yeah. Well, Don't and, be ashamed. And, I, and I think if all of us individually work on judging less, you know, judging each other, judging other people. But, you know, there's that, I don't know if it's the problem-solving mechanism in our brains where it's like, well, I'd really like to understand wh- why this happened or why, you know, and then that we have to cast the, our judgments on the situation or on the people, you know. And I think it's so inappropriate and destructive to do that. And it's it obviously is one of the triggers of people where they feel like they have shame, where they can't speak openly like, yeah, we lost our son because he killed himself or we lost our daughter because she killed herself or whatever the, the thing is, it would be so much better for them to be able to acknowledge that truth and to not feel judgment. See, I don't even think people. it, I don't think it was Sabrina's fault. It was the illness that caused right. it. It wasn't right. her. Right. It was the illness that it doesn't define her. And so to say they killed themselves, I don't even like that. Right. I think you can say, um, her life ended because of suicide. Right. That's a, that's a disease. It's this. It's you know because of depression. Yeah. Not things else. They things outside it. of her yeah. her choices. Yeah. Hmm. Well. This has been tough. I I again I I want to say thank you for sharing your story. Um, I think Sabrina would have been a wonderful person for 
all the people that she did touch in her life and all the people that she could have touched in her life. I think that's wonderful. And I think it's great that you guys are honoring her by talking about it, sharing the light that she shared. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. It's our pleasure. I mean, I, I'm the one who reached out to you to do this, so. <laughs> which I, like, yeah, like, when we first talked about it, which was just a few months, I think. Yeah, after January, I think. And we talked about it, and, you know, I was really nervous because it felt like it was still so fresh. And frankly, I still think that it's a little fresh, but um, I, I, I'm just... I'm truly honored that you guys were willing to talk to me and talk, you know, to share your story. I mean, just selfishly, just to me, whether it's on a podcast or not, you know, because I went to suicide support groups for a long time until finally I, I couldn't handle it anymore. You know, and I think it's so therapeutic for all of us to hear stories like this, whether it's tragedy or devastation or, you know, just positivity positivity and and you know the light that sabrina had and and shared i think this i don't know if it connects us with each other or it just it breaks down those walls and barriers like hey you know this could happen to anyone truly like you said katie this could happen to anyone because mental illness is a problem it is a thing oftentimes it's overlooked and underdiagnosed and all these things and so we just all have to look out for each other, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hard times, trials. Um, it makes us more compassionate towards other yeah. people. We know. Yeah. Especially I will be super compassionate now to people who have been touched by suicide because I've been through it. Yeah. I'm super super empathetic towards people who had somebody die of cancer because my mother did. You know, yeah. Suffering sadly brings compression. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I got to ask from your perspective, Tom. Um, you know, I I'll share something on Facebook. I try not to do it too often, but at what point do you get? Do you go? Okay, you, we don't need to hear about this anymore. We get it. You're sad. <laughs> um, I'm serious. Like I I wrote a fairly long post the other day, and I was like, I hope this isn't being too self-indulgent i mean is is it does it get to a point from your perspective where it's like just shut the f up (laughs) we've heard about it you you need to move on (laughs) i've never ever felt that way and i hope i never do i i and you know and i'm only speaking for myself i'm not speaking for other but i'm sure there probably are some very shallow people that think jordan just would you just talk about something else like isn't there a nascar race you can talk about yeah but I, that was but on I, today like yes there, I, there <laughs> is <laughs> but for me i think it's wonderful because to me it, at least it makes me feel better because i'm like all right jordan's working through it part of the healing process, you know, and, and like you said, Katie, you know, if, if Jordan, if, if this is his way of just talking about it, typing it out, writing it out, whatever it is, if that are just the tiniest little baby steps towards healing, I think all of us need to honor that, you know, yeah. there's not enough like buttons to push on that post. You know, I think it's, I think it's really great. And, you know, like I said, I'm only speaking for myself, but I, I, I don't want you to ever feel that way. I think you should 
post to your heart's content about Sabrina and, and your feelings about it. So that's just me. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it, just we all have to grieve in our own way. And also, I feel like there's a certain power that comes in being honest with yourself and with others. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I like sharing my vulnerable side publicly even though i didn't cry on this podcast but um (laughs) i i like i like uh i like at least writing out my feelings i can be more honest in my writing than i think i can be in my verbalization unlike nephi i'm a better writer than i am a speaker (laughs) like nephi that's great (laughs) okay even i had to laugh at that well should we call it yeah it feels like a pretty good end yeah hi this is Lindsay from colorado And when I'm not listening to Infants on Thrones, I am practicing the hymns and awaiting the day that brass players can perform in sacrament meeting. Well, okay, not really. But you can comment on this episode on the website infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? I will say, um, in Utah, you guys have got a great resource Yeah. in uh, UNI, the University of Utah uh, Mental. Neuropsychiatric oh, yeah. Institute. Yeah. yeah, it's... They're amazing. They are really, really People good. People come from out of state to go there. And you can, parents, just in case you live there, you can um, get a free evaluation. You just walk in the door, they evaluate. You know, they have a per- professional evaluate, and then they'll look for a bed if they feel like they're not safe. We need more resources like that everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. We we t- we had we had one kid go to a, a facility here in North Carolina. It was awful. And it was terrible. It was, uh, we're like, we don't, we're not going to send our kid. Which is why we didn't send Sabrina. She, my daughter said I came back worse from that place than before I came in, before wow. I went in. But uni, I mean... Uni is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for listening to... Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.